welcome to the Young Readers Book Review and Happy New Year. I'm your host, A.L. Armitage, and on each episode I'll review a children's book from picture and non-fiction books all the way up to those for young adults. Some episodes will also include an interview with an author so we can learn even more about the book and the author themselves. The Young Readers Book Review is intended to be a celebration of children's books and the authors who create them. Reading is without a doubt one of the most important and enriching things children can do, yet children's books don't get the same attention or love that books for adults do. I'm hoping to change that. In this show I aim to give listeners all the information they need to decide whether a book will be right for them or for the little reader in their lives. So if you're looking for inspiration for a gift, or if you're a young reader yourself, this show will hopefully open up a whole new world of possibilities for you. Today I'm reviewing Wren by Lucy Hope, and Lucy will also be joining us for a chat and will be reading the first chapter of the book just for you. Wren is a mid-grade book aimed at children aged between 8 and 12, and it's published by Nosy Crow. First things first, the book has a really eye-catching blue cover with a mechanical bird soaring above snow-covered foliage, and the title is in bold red. The beautiful design on the cover, the cog intertwined with what looks to be a tree branch, appears at the beginning of each chapter, and as you read, you'll see how the two came to be combined. The story's set in 1870 and centres around 12-year-old Wren, who lives in an ancient home on the coast of Wales with her father, her brother and her aunt. The book is beautifully written and is easy to slip into and get lost in. There's a lot to love about the book. Welsh folklore runs through the story, so you learn interesting things like how people used to take the name of their father and grandfather as their last name, with some people having five last names. Wren is my favourite kind of character. She's a tough, brave, caring and bull-headed girl who thrives on adventure and intrigue. The other characters, including the house and the location, jump off the page, so much so that you can picture them in your mind. The setting in Wales is described with a fullness and colour that makes you want to immediately pack a backpack, get on the train and go there to explore. The dialogue is natural and well-written, and the level of language used would suit a confident reader aged from around 8 up to 12, but would equally be enthralling to a younger reader reading with their parent or carer. There are plenty of thoughtfully used, more complex words that would make excellent talking points with readers of all ages. And the build-up to the denouement is perfect. There's plenty of action and some edge-of-your-seat nail-biting moments as well. If you're a reader who enjoys intriguing historical stories with moments of adventure and an air of whimsy, then Wren is a great choice. If you do read it, why not leave Lucy a review? Authors love hearing from people who read their books. Next, I'm going to chat with the author of Wren, Lucy Hope, who braved trained chaos to make it just in time. I'd like to welcome Lucy Hope, author of Wren and Fledgling. Hi, Lucy. Thank you so much for joining me and for being the first author to be interviewed. First of all, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. I'm Good. very happy to be your first guest. Well, thank you. It's very exciting. Um, <laughs> secondly, I have to say that I really enjoyed reading Wren. Um, I read it on a very cold day with the fire on, which seemed quite fitting, uh, given the setting of the book. And now I really have to go to Wales and do some exploring because I absolutely loved it. Yeah. Um, yes. So... Your ancestors seem to have played quite an important role in the story. Could you tell me a little bit about the inspiration behind it? 
Yeah. Um, I mean, the story started with the setting. That was very much part of it. And that just that part of Anglesey, you're on the southern shore of Anglesey, looking out over the Menai Strait. And then you've got the mountains on the other side. Yeah. Quite often they're snow-capped. And you've got the Menai Suspension Bridge. I think it's just the most spectacular view on Earth. I don't think I've ever been anywhere more beautiful. So it really started with that. Um, and to begin with, I had the idea of two houses, one either side of the water right. and this level of communication between them. And then when you're writing a book, sort of ideas evolve. And the way I tend to write is that they evolve and you start with an idea or a scene yeah. or something quite small. And then you just start writing and it just gets, it just takes, the story takes on its own momentum. And I'm always surprised because I have normally have no idea what's going to happen next. <laughs> I quite often have an idea for the final scene, which I did yeah. with Ren. And it's quite a dramatic kind of almost cinema, whatever the word, it's quite a dramatic sort of big scene. And I sort of had this fear about whether I could even do it justice when I was writing it yeah. and then finding my way from that opening scene to the final scene. So, yeah, so I think, I think, but the book was mostly just inspired by growing up in North Wales. All my family come from North Wales. A lot of them are okay. still there. Um, historically, my family go back hundreds of years, and oh, they were they were always in conflict with the English because the English were sort of um, going into Wales quite a bit. Yes. <laughs> doesn't doesn't sound like the English at all. <laughs> no, making a nuisance for themselves, and um, and my family are still in the same house that 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 they were in in 1450. Really, and it was a house. It was a defensive house, so it was built wow. to defend the locals against English incursions. So. So it is. I've sort of grown up with that history in a house with, um, you know, battlements and a dungeon and just all sorts of secrets in it, and it's just part of my DNA, really. So it, it came out, yeah, not even consciously in Ren. It wasn't a kind of thing, but then it's just all these things are in my head and all these memories and experiences, and then when you start writing, then then they kind of bubble up to the surface. It is interesting that that I think people think writers have this big plan and it's all very neat and they're just it's a step-by-step thing but it, it isn't is it it is very mm. much a ideas come and you kind of go with the flow so in yeah, a way yeah. like the book obviously you write it but it kind of writes itself with its uh its flow yeah. um yes. so in there's a little bit in the back of your book that kind of talks about how you know who you spoke to for the book and you had was it a great 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 uncle or much further back and was he kind mm. of was he part of the the inspiration when he was thinking about the characters? I think so. So he was um, Reinald Apgriffith at Blethyn. Thank you for who, saying that. Uh, I wasn't going to be able to say <laughs> that's that. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> it was just a name we grew up with. And he was one of the men of Harlech. And he was he had his own bard. And wow. He was just a local hero. And he was a hero in my mind, you know. And, the thing, and he didn't live very long. He died at 28, I think. Did he really? Wow. But he lived in the house that I grew up in. And so there was that... I think he was just in the back of my mind when I came up with Griffith at Bleden at Huellen, who was um, <laughs> <I love that. laughs> Ren's great, 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 great uncle. So, um, so yeah, he was definitely an inspiration for that. And I and I love the old Welsh naming system. That was I, I, I didn't know about that before, but that is oh. really interesting. Yeah, so I so, do, you know, and then, and some of the names would be five long or longer. You know, it depends on how quickly they got bored with with their names. But I think it's sort of. Well, obviously, they adopted a more anglicised naming system in the, I think, in the 1600s, something like that. Okay. Which but, makes sense, but, but it's still a lovely thing to helps. have. It is, and it helps with genealogy as well. You know, because it's it all, does. Goodness. 
yeah, they'd have to have really big family trees, but near like massive rolls of paper just to fit yeah, all yeah. the notes on. <laughs> so when you were writing, did you have an age group in mind for the readers or did, was it, did you just come up with a story and... Yeah, you do tend to start with an age group. So because I write for middle grade, which is between sort of eight and 12. Yeah. But I think my books so far have been at the upper end of that. So sort of 10 to 12. But you know, some eight year olds might want to read it. But you do have yeah. that at the back of your mind. And especially um, just the way it works with publishing books mm. are categorised by this children's books are categorised by the age that they're written for. Yeah. So eight to, middle grade is a very big sector or section within the children's market so yeah I love I mean I love the language I was when I was reading it, I was thinking that my 12 year old would love it but I was thinking that the six-year-old would it would if I could sit and read it to her she would love it as well and there's so many rich descriptions and some of the words you use are great conversation points and I know she would ask and it would be lovely to to describe them so I thought that was nice that it could go across ages um so one more question I'm going to ask you to read a, a bit from the book in a sec but one more question before is um I think when people think of writers I think it's quite a solitary definition like task which it is because you you know you sit on your own and do it but you in the back of your book you thank quite a lot of people who you've like reading groups and people who've read for you um so it seemed like you have a great support network do you think it's important for authors to have people to bounce ideas off and get feedback from yeah I think so I think it's really important because like you say it's quite solitary and I'm quite a sociable person and I like being with people I like chatting to people and so you always have this in a way oh excuse me just turn my um uh, yeah so and I think I think when you have sometimes the ideas in my books are a little bit out of the ordinary (laughs) (laughs) and it's always really good to say you know to gauge people's opinions or their reaction you know to say you know oh this is really what this book is about what do you think and then and the the, the thing about other writers other authors they're very honest with each other because we're all very used to critiquing each other's work so it's a, they're always very good sounding blocks um, and it does make a difference and it helps you to go forward with confidence when you're writing something because that's nine months worth of work. So Yeah, it's um, not a small investment of time, is it? It's, it's a, it is a big thing. Now grab a blanket and get comfortable because Lucy's going to read the first chapter of Wren. Hopefully you get a sense very early on of Wren's life and and some secrets that might be, might, she might be dealing with throughout yes. the story. Okay. okay. So chapter one, Anglesey, North Wales. The first time I heard my house sing, I might have missed it altogether had the gulls not fallen silent at precisely that moment. I was out by the boathouse, securing my coracle against the rising tide. I have never seen the water in the strait so high. Sweeping my hair from my eyes, I happened to look up just as the strange sound came again. Our house often takes on a menacing air at that time of the day, but there was something different about it that evening, something that sent a shiver down my spine. As I ran up through the gardens, past the towering rhododendrons and under the weeping willows, I had the most peculiar feeling that the house was watching me, tempting me, daring me to come home. I swung back briefly to face the water, confused by the sudden silence of the gulls. There were none to be seen. The heaving mass of water was now almost invisible under a veil of low-slung dark cloud. The song came again, and I looked up, ignoring the wind whipping at my face. 
It seemed to be coming from somewhere up high, from the top of the tower, from behind the battlements. The mournful lament became so intense, it took my breath away. As I reached the wide, hard standing to the front of the house, the sun slipped behind the bridge and a wave of grey swept overhead. In this strange half-light, for just a moment, the house almost seemed to sigh. I ran towards the back of the house, under the archway past the stables. Perhaps it was nothing, just the wind whistling through the turrets. But a bird might be trapped on the roof. I couldn't ignore that. I flung the back door open, ran through the pantry, through the kitchens, past the sleeping cats lined up up in front of the range and into the long corridor that leads to the main staircase. I don't know what I was doing, but I knew I had to go up to the roof. If there was something trapped there, I couldn't leave it to die. As I ran up the stairs, the peculiar sound came again, more muffled now I was inside. It was long and low and sent a shudder through my heart. I reached the landing and tiptoed towards the small door that leads up to the attic. Easing the door open, I paused to listen. Ignoring the little voice inside my head that told me to turn around, I stepped through the low doorway and climbed the steep, bare-boarded stairs up to the attic, using my hands to guide me. I reached the top of the stairs, wishing I'd thought to pull on a coat on my way up. A slim shaft of moonlight led me to the final flight of stairs that leads up to the roof. The boards under my feet vibrated as if someone nearby were beating a slow drum. With a pounding heart, I climbed through the hatch and stepped out onto the flat, lead-lined walkway that runs round the tower between the sloping roof to the left and the old battlements that over- overlook the waters of the strait. It was due to be a full moon that night, bringing with it a high spring tide. Waves were already lapping against our shingle beach, no doubt scooping up thousands of pebbles and sweeping them out to sea. A sudden shriek nearby made me jump, but it was just a family of passing gulls squabbling somewhere out in the darkness. Everything fell silent. Even the waves seemed to still for a moment. And then the song came again, loud and clear. This was no trapped bird or other wild creature. The song was coming from all around, consuming me, its cool fingers clutching at me. It came from above and below, from the roof tiles and the stone of the battlements. I was alone on the roof of my house. I was alone with the song of my house. And then, with a great shudder, it just stopped. I stood motionless, suddenly feeling the intense cold, slowly coming to my senses. What was I doing up here? Had I lost my mind? I turned on my heels and fled along the walkway, tumbled through the little door, down the attic stairs, not caring one bit about the darkness as I raced to the safety of my room. I love that first chapter. It sets the atmosphere it creates is lovely and it gives you such a nice introduction to Ren as well. And you know she's going to be a ride and she is. She's just <laughs> she's she's brilliant. I, she's the type of character I love in that she's tough and she's determined and yeah, she gets more tough and more determined as the book goes oh, yeah. on. So oh, thank yeah. you very much. Um, okay. So 
we've, I've asked you some questions about the book. I thought it might be nice if I can ask you some questions about you so that the okay. listeners can get to know you a little bit. Um, okay, so question one. Um, how long have you been writing? Um, not actually very long. Um, in 2018, I did, there's a course, uh, um, it's an MA in writing for young people at Bath Spa University. Okay. Um, and I did that and that was, I th- I'd written a, a dog story, a kind of 30,000 word dog story before then. And I'd play, I've been writing on and off all my life, but yeah. not ever tried to take it seriously or to try to get it published or anything like that. I've just enjoyed doing it, but didn't, didn't think it was a possibility really. Just right. Really. Felt like a very impractical thing to try and do. Oh, yeah. So yeah, so 2018 I did the course, and then sh- soon after that signed with an agent and got a publishing deal. So that's that amazing. Yeah. So it's been a bit of a whirlwind then, because you've got Fledgling as well. That was your first book. Yes. So Fledgling was a book I wrote on the MA, which okay. was, that, that was a book my, that I got an agent for and got ah, and then brilliant. published. So that was amazing. That's amazing. And then um, that my publisher is Nosy Crow. And then they came back to me just as Fledgling was about to be published, saying, would you like to write two more books for us? Oh, that's exciting. So have you got an idea for the next one? Are you working on it yet or is it? Yeah, yeah. The next one is nearly finished, actually. Um, Amazing. Yeah, yeah. So and it's every book is feels very different. But the the next one, I probably shouldn't. It's probably all top secret. (laughs) But it's um, it's quite different, actually. It's still historical, but it's not I wouldn't say it's as gothic and not as dark okay um there well, is like, that's exciting okay and i have a very strong female main character um, good my favorite okay. type yeah. <laughs> yes. yeah yeah i quite like writing them i always write the girls that i wish i'd been when i was at age yeah it's interesting you, you tend to be able to find a little bit of each author in the main characters i think sometimes mm. maybe yeah. in more children's than adult ones i think <laughs> um so that's great so can you tell us a little bit about fledgling about what that was about a uh, good, excellent question. <laughs> I'm still trying to work that out. <laughs> no, so fledgling. Um, when I went on the MA, I came along with a big idea for a book I wanted to write, and I'd done lots of historical research. And uh, as part of the course, we were given little writing exercises, and we'd been talking about Skellig by David Armand, mm-hmm. uh, and um, and one of our piece of homework for the week was to write. Um, to just write a thousand words inspired by Skellig. Okay. So I sort of went away and, and just had like a few sleepless nights and this idea started coming to me. And I thought, well, there is maybe there might not be an angel or there might, but I sort of really liked the idea of writing a book with a cherub in it. So I had this, nice. I thought I couldn't think of any children's books with cherubs in them. Mm. And it, it sort of, it began this organic process like, like Wren really. Mm. Um, again, I started with this, thousand words fell in love with this like the idea straight away and thought I have to write because I was writing something else at the time and and I thought I don't know which one to pursue and right. someone said to me just write the one you can't not write and fledgling was that one and I just thought I have okay. to write it it was it was like a compulsion so I had this very strong feeling and then I had the final scene and I thought oh gosh I've got this really dramatic scene in my mind and this really big scene and I I just thought I've just got to find my way from that first chapter to the final scene. Backwards, and yeah. Yes, <laughs> which is just it's yeah. quite exciting because you've got no idea what's going to happen next and then yeah. you have all these sleepless nights and your mind's whizzing. And so Fledgling is, yeah, so Fledgling is quite, I mean, it's, it's set in Bavaria in 1900. Okay. Um, and the main character, Cassie Engel, lives on top of a big rock um, 
and her house looks down on on the village of um, Edinburgh, where where they live. Mm. Um, and it was inspired. I don't know if you know Neuschwanstein Castle in that part of Germany, which is you've probably seen it on biscuit tins. Yeah, it's one of the is that what it is? <laughs> yeah, it's built by King Ludwig, and it's the most incredible. It's like a huge castle. It's much grander than Cassie Engel's house in my mind. Yeah. Um, but it's this idea of having a mountain top home built on rock. Mm. Um, and and just the your my having my main character almost looking down on the world and her parents are very complicated and troubled, so she's almost, she's very isolated from the world but still okay. sees the world still part of it, and there are all sorts of sinister happenings because she looks down on the forest below, and there's all sorts of stuff going on in the forest. So it's quite it's quite an adventure. It's quite mysterious. It's quite gothic, very dark mm. in parts, you know. So um, sounds, I think she'll really enjoy reading it. Yeah. Well, I'm sure that well, it's, it, your stuff is it is so imaginative, and it it's it's one of those books that you read, but you don't feel like you're reading. You know, some yeah. books you can tell that they've been written, but yours it, it flowed really beautifully, and it was very easy to read. One question I've got to ask before I forget: How do you pronounce Ren's aunt's name? Is it Effa? Uh, uh, she's Effa. Effa. Okay. Uh, Auntie Effa. Yeah, that's a lovely she's... name. Because yeah. <laughs> when I was when I was younger and I was reading uh, Harry Potter, I used to in my head pronounce Hermione Hermione. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to make sure that I <laughs> that I was reading it right. So that's good. That's exciting. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, I love it. Um, so I've got to ask you about your notebooks. So it nice. is a tends to be a writer's thing that we all like notebooks, and you have an amazing pile. Do you want to show us your uh, your pile of notebooks? Yeah, yeah. It's it, I've just brought it in and it's quite heavy. I have to say, I haven't even counted them. <laughs> I'll, I'll split it into two but it's oh, just one of these things oh we were saying earlier I can't go into a shop without buying a notebook and I actually get little palpitations when I get a new notebook my sister bought me one for Christmas from is it papier papier oh the, yes yeah wrapped in tissue paper and had my initials on the front I oh, literally barely breathe <laughs> no, what a it's a thrill isn't it getting a new notebook it's just so exciting <laughs> So these but, are all sort of built up over the years. Um, that's just half the pile there. Wow. Um, every single book, every single book in my notebook has a purpose. Right, um, that's what I was going to ask, if they've got like, if you use them, because there's, you know, some people just buy them to have them. I I'm, I have written in them all, apart from this one here, which is Jackie Morris, The Silent Un... I don't know if you can see it. Oh, silent, yes, yeah. The Silent Unwinding. Okay. And basically, it's sort of got inspirational images on each page. So my last question for you is, how would you describe being a writer? If you had three words to describe being a writer, what would they be? I would say the words that jump into my mind straight away is that it's an emotional roller coaster. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> That's me being totally honest with you. Yeah. Has some amazing highs. I mean, the big highs are doing things like seeing the art, your cover artwork for the first time, holding your book in your hands for the first time. You know, for yeah. me, I'm a bit an older writer to start my, you know, I, I had my first book published when I was 49. Um, so it feels, it does feel incredible. It's like this lifelong dream that's finally, I'm, you know, it, it's happening. Yeah. Um, or you see a review of it in The Guardian or, or one of the other national newspapers. Those are the highs. Yeah. But then there are lows as well. So it is, it's it's a bit up and downy. Yes. Um, but it's a compulsion. And once you start, you know. You can't, can't stop. I'm never stopping really, yeah. if I'm honest. Well, but also look, this is, this is Lucy's book here. <laughs> it's right. And the artwork is stunning. 
Um, and once you've read it, this in particular will make lots more sense. It's just beautiful. It is a really lovely book. Um, lucky the publisher's done an amazing job oh, with it. It is. It's it's very eye catching as well. Um, yeah. And it's yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. So thank you, mm-hmm. thank yeah, you so thank much you. for coming on today. It's been really lovely. And um, good luck with the new book. I'm really excited to uh, to read that when it comes mm-hmm. out. So you can buy a copy of Wren from your independent bookstores locally yes. or from anywhere that sells books. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. Nosy Crow, can you get it from the Nosy Crow website as well? Uh, I think you can get it directly from the Nosy Crow website, but from Amazing. what I, it looks like it's available everywhere. Really, yeah, pretty much. So which is just perfect. <laughs> so get yourself a copy because I think you'll really enjoy it. All right. Thank you, Lucy. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. And that's it for this week's review. Thank you so much for listening. And if you enjoyed today's show, tune in next week when I'll be reviewing Sisters of Shadow by Catherine Livesey, which was recommended to me by a bookseller at my local bookshop, Cogito Books. Books.